Well, I'm so happy to be here with you guys again today. Let me just start by telling you, you're all very, very, very special to me. You know that? You're very, very special to me. It's funny, uh, this, this week I took uh, Elise and, and Serena to the dentist for the first time. And uh, if you're a parent and you've ever done that, you can understand you need a little bit of extra grace from God to be able to do that. And uh, so I was there, I brought them in, and they were sitting there on the chair. And uh, I went and I had to fill out some forms for them because of the first time them being there, right? And uh, the lady behind the desk had to go in because of the time we're living, and she had to go take their temperature and make sure everything was, was good there. And uh, the lady said to Elise, boy, you're really happy. And Elise said, yes, I'm very happy because I'm special. My name is Elise. <laughs> I'm filling out my forms. I'm like, who is this child? Where did she get this personality from? My goodness. Hey, I was wondering if I could do a quick kind of health check with you guys this morning. Are you ready for this? All right. We were just in the middle of worship. We are in the middle of praising God. How did you feel while we were, we were doing that, when we were just glorifying God? How did you feel? Breathless. Breathless. Well, restore breath back to you in the name of Jesus. Restore it back. Anybody else? How else did you feel? Peace. Love it. Love it. Anything else? What were you feeling? Joy. Comfort. Love it. Yes. And what about during communion? How did you feel during that? You know, communion is something that we do as Christians, and sometimes we don't put a whole lot of thought to it or, or much feeling behind it. How did you feel when we we're taking communion? Blessed. Yeah. Thankful. Love it. Yeah, keep it coming. Humble, yes. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he teaches that we're not to, if we're not regularly inspired by the body and blood of Jesus during communion, that this is the, per, this is the reason that people in the church, by the way, he says this in Romans 11.30, this is the reason why people are weak, they're sick, why they've fallen asleep, right? So this is actually really funny because Pastor John, I didn't talk to Pastor John about what I was preaching this week. He was talking about being passionate and being woken up out of our slumber. That's exactly what I'm preaching on today. So don't you love the Holy Spirit, how he works that way? That's fantastic. You know, I can't believe for a second that God wants us to be uh, coming to church without a passion for who he is. Right? And what he is doing, what he has done in our lives, and how he has absolutely blessed us. You can't come to church here this morning knowing about what's going on in the world and not feel of it for us. A second that you are blessed to be where you are in the community that you're in, in this town. You know, you are blessed to be here. And you have to thank Jesus every day for that while praying for the people over there as well, right? All right, so it's going to get into it now. Have you, have you heard of uh, the, the seven deadly sins before? Have you heard of that before? Well, it's not exactly, uh, you know, it's not scriptural per se, but it is absolutely inspired by scripture. And they were actually originally authored by a monk who was named Evagrius, I can't, sorry, I don't speak Greek, Evagrius Ponticus. Uh, he was around the age of 345 to 399 AD. And he was one of the most gifted intellects of his day. And he put together in Greek his list of the eight evil thoughts. So yeah, there were eight originally, okay? There were eight evil thoughts that you should avoid at all costs. 
and they were revised by several others down the line as well, too, until they became down to seven. They shortened down to, to seven. I'm not going to go into detail about uh, each and every one of them, uh, but the, the seventh or eighth one, even back when, when he first authored them, the, the last one was actually supposed to be the worst. And do you know what that was? It was actually called acedia. Acedia. And it was, in fact, considered to be the worst of all the sins, which is why it was placed at the, the final eighth or, or seventh, respectively. And actually, it is now commonly known as the sin of sloth. Sloth. Uh, like the animal, like the sloth. Sloth. Laziness. Right? There's actually a, a lot more than simple laziness or, or sloth, actually, as we commonly, currently understand it. Uh, if you look up the definition of acedia, which is a Greek word, you'll see that it is often known as spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. The word, though, acedia, actually simply means in Greek, the absence of care. The absence of care. Now, there's a, a bit of difficulty with preaching about the absence of care because there have been so many people these days, uh, you know, yelling on Facebook and yelling from trucks uh, that people need to wake up, right? And uh, of course, that is not at all what I'm preaching about this morning, okay? That's not what I'm preaching about. As a pastor, you often have to actually get people to wake up from a slumber-like experience. That's part of my job is to, to wake you up from a, a slumber-like experience, but not, but not to wake up to an idea, not to wake up to a philosophy, not to wake up to a movement, not, none of that stuff. It's actually to wake up from the indifference that we all feel spiritually sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about because you probably felt it this morning coming to church. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes when you wake up on the Sunday morning, you think, oh, you know what? I'd love to just sit here and enjoy my breakfast for a little bit longer. I'd love to just sit in front of the TV and not do anything. I'd love to just sit online and, and play solitaire. I'd love to just, you know, whatever the case, but there's something else that tries to keep you in a state of apathy, spiritually, right? And you have to fight that continually. You might not feel it today. You might not have felt it in a while, but it does come on you. It's a, it's a spiritual apathy, don't feel guilty about it because it's a tool of the enemy. He uses it against you all the time. And if I were to give a, a modern equivalence uh, today of what acedia is, I think I would use the word indifference, actually, because indifference captures the position of the heart actually really, really well. Indifference convinces us that change is not possible. It's not worthwhile. Uh, you know, it's not worthwhile in ourselves or even in the world around us. It keeps us actually locked in our current state. Everything's good, I'm fine, I don't want to change anything, right? Indifference. Have you noticed that there's a, a real sense of cynicism in the world today? Have you noticed that, that there's a real kind of cynicism that, that people feel? I believe that happens actually when indifference is actually left unchecked. It grows into a deep-rooted cynicism. It kind of looks at personal transformation and justice of the world and says, you know, what's the point? What's the point? Why am I going to do anything? I'm good where I am. Let's stay status quo, right? And here's the scary part. We know, just like any, every other sin, you can come really comfortable with it. Indifference can be one of those, those chains that you wear that's actually kind of pretty looking. It's a gold chain that you can wear. You don't really want to take it off. You can live with it quite easily. So because a CD is a sin, you can cohabit with it, and it becomes very easy to no longer want change for ourselves 
or for the world. We just don't care or even think about the potential impact our actions could have uh, on ourselves or the people around us. So for my text today, uh, I want to read one of the biggest acts of indifference that you could read in the Bible, and it's in John 19 and 23 and 24, and it's when Jesus was at the cross. I know we're not at Easter yet, but it's a, it's a really good verse that shows uh, the impact of our indifference. I'm just going to move this TV out of the way so I can see everybody on this side properly. All right, John... 19 and 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. The soldiers said, let's not tear it, they said. Uh, Let's decide by lot who will get it. By lot means that they're going to gamble for it. So this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That was in Psalms uh, 22 and 18. So it's referencing back in Psalms. So this is what the soldiers did. Isn't that interesting? What we see in the scripture in in the words and actions of the soldiers assigned to the execution of Jesus is an attitude of absolute indifference. It's an attitude of acedia. They were indifferent to this execution that was without a doubt very, very commonplace to them. Let's not forget that the Roman soldiers, they were experts at crucifixion. They had mastered the, I'm not, I don't like to use the word art, but they had mastered crucifixion. They had done it for over 500 years. Did you know that? That they had actually, Romans actually did crucifixion for 500 years. They knew what they were doing when they did it. So if anybody that says that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, well, yeah, he did, because they were experts at knowing how to crucify and kill someone slowly and painfully on the cross. In fact, in 4 BC, before uh, Jesus was born, the Roman general Varus, he actually crucified 2,000 Jews. They did this en masse, right? So these soldiers knew what they are doing, and they were indifferent to what was happening right above them. Nonetheless, Jesus, the Son of God, right above them, was being tortured in the most inhumane way with his mother, his family, and his friends right in front of them as well, too, weeping. And they were completely indifferent to that. But these soldiers, you know, the most important concern of the afternoon was what was left of Jesus' only possessions, his clothing. They were particularly interested in owning his tunic or his his undergarment, which would have been quite valuable because it was seamless. It didn't have a, a seam in it whatsoever. No places where it had been torn or where it had been sewn together. It was a perfect garment without a seam in it, and that's why it was valuable. And as they focused their attention on his garment, Jesus was dying on the cross. His blood was likely at the soldier's feet. His pain was absolutely audible, but they were totally indifferent to anything or anybody except for their own interests. Acedia to Christ, who was right there. I mean, there's no doubt that these Roman soldiers were cruel and heartless, but I also imagine that they were also likely shaped by their experiences in battle, so much so that they became numb to probably suffering in general, right? So I guess my question to ask you this morning is this. As we think about the indifference of the soldiers towards this, this pain and the suffering, can we also think about the indifference that we have to the world around us? Indifference towards maybe the unsaved. Indifference towards, you know, the real suffering that's happening in the world. Or maybe indifference to the body of Christ. His church. 
I really want us as a body to look deep inside ourselves this morning to see if there's any indifference in our hearts. Are you okay with that? I know it's a sobering experience to talk about the cross. It's not something that we'd like to talk about pain and suffering. But I want to make sure that there is no indifference in, in us. Are you okay with that? I don't want there to be any indifference toward God whatsoever. So maybe the example uh, of the Roman soldiers is an extreme example because most people are not brutal or, or cruel like that around here. Uh, but we easily do fall into indifference to our relationship with Christ and certainly an indifference towards his body. And uh, I think that the, the biggest loss for the church in this time of pandemic has been how indifference has <laughs> drastically and, and really blossomed in us as a society. And so many people, you know, there were a lot of people that said that they didn't want to come back to church because they didn't want to have to wear a mask. And then there were a lot of people who said that they didn't want to come to church because some people will not wear a mask. And you know what? That's just a lose-lose situation for the body of Christ. It really is. It's a lose-lose situation. But you know what? In reality, a lot of this is purely rooted in acedia. It, it really is. It's, it's rooted in an indifference towards the body of Christ. If a minor inconvenience, let's put it this way, if a minor inconvenience is preventing you from fellowshipping with others and looking to God, then that inconvenience is actually greater than the importance of your relationship with Christ and your relationship with his body. If a small inconvenience is causing you not to want to meet with people, then that's a lot more important than meeting with other people and having fellowship with Christ. A little bit of quiet there. I'm sorry if that offended you. I hope it didn't. But it's true. And, you know, even before COVID, indifference was still a very strong thing in the church. It really was. And probably the biggest blockade from hearing from God, from hearing from the Holy Spirit, uh, is that something else in our lives is louder than that voice. Something else gets our attention more than the Holy Spirit which is a very, has a very serious consequence because the Holy Spirit does and will convict us of the things that we need to change our lives. And if we're indifferent to it, we'll not have the strategy to change our ways and, and become who God wants us to be. And the more we ignore and stop listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the weaker and less frequent his voice and conviction becomes. Subsequently, we also become indifferent to the personal call God has placed on our individual lives. And I know you've seen this happen. Have you seen this happen? When someone becomes indifferent to the things of God and they walk away, they become so indifferent to the voice of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit, that their lives change. And I, from what I've seen, it always changes to the worse, and they don't even realize. It's like a Samson type of thing. The glory of God has departed, and they don't even realize it. It's scary, isn't it? It is scary. So, Here's my fear, okay? I'm going to tell you what my fear is about this, this whole situation as I think about that scene on the cross. Who am I in that situation? Am I the ones looking up at Christ in love or am I the ones throwing dice at the foot of the cross? Who am I? Am I only concerned about myself and what I, I can get out of my own strength? Lord, let it never be me. Don't ever let that be me. Don't let it be me that loses my enthusiasm. Don't let it be that, that loses my love and my passion for you. Right? Be it far for me to replace my passion for indifference. Amen? 
I get that the scene of the cross is a, a far cry from what we experience here in Canada. I get that. And I mean, I, I, we don't really see that kind of violence here, but we often do have our minds on other things. Because we live in a relative state of peace here, it's very easy for us to, for our minds to go to somewhere else, right? We have to have our minds on other things. Our focus is on other things. And just like the soldiers, we're busy trying to figure out how to handle the tunics in our lives as opposed to the mercy that's being shown to us instead of the one who is actually wearing the tunic, right? So, if indifference and acedia is uh, our sin and is often a counterfeit, then what do you think God wants us to have instead? What do you think God wants us to have instead of indifference? Purpose, yes. What else? It was already said this morning during communion. Passion. Right. When you're married, you want, what do you want your husband or your wife to show you? I'm going to call the elders together after church, and we're going to pray for Maria. <laughs> hey, you know what? At least there's honesty. Well, that concludes my message for today. <laughs> no, we want passion. We want passion. <laughs> right? We want passion, right? Am I right here? Am I just talking to myself? Right? We want passion, right? We desire passion from our relationships. So when we talk about relationship with God, we have to realize that if we're in a covenant relationship with God, it requires what? Passion. Passion. Passion from the heart. In fact, passion is such a good thing that the Bible actually commands it as well too. Paul says in Romans 12, 11, do not be thought, slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Passion. Guess what? That actually means that, that passion is not optional for Christians. It's not optional for Christians. If we listen to God's instruction, you know, if we listen to God's instruction to be kind to one another, uh, to be tenderhearted, to love one another fervently, to listen and bear with each other, to speak the truth in love, to forgive as we have been forgiven, to seek justice, to love mercy, to believe that there is no longer Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, that we are all one in Christ. If we believe all of those things, if we really seek to do all those things, we can never do it from a position of indifference. Right? They come from the hearts and minds that are on fire with a passion for Jesus. That's where it comes from. And also a, a fire that's inflamed with a passion for his body as well, too. You know, maybe you're saying this morning, Pastor Joel, I get it. You know, I'm, I bet I'm, I'm just not an expressive person. Passion is not a part of my temperament. That's not who I am. Right? Right. But whether you're a laid back or you have an intense personality, you know, whether you're a phlegmatic Dane or a, or a passionate Welshman, right? It doesn't matter. It's, it's not rooted in your genetic makeup. It's actually part of a, a life of fervent passion, dedication, intense striving to finish the race that is set before us. That's what it's about. It's, part, it's because the passion and zeal, it's actually a heart issue. It's not an emotive issue. It's a heart issue. It's not an expression. It's a state of heart that we all need to have. 
Uh, do you want to have a little bit of a sobering exercise? I say this now, and you guys have, uh, you'd be laughing before, so that's good. So this is a little bit of a sobering exercise. We all have things in our life that we're passionate about, right? Right? If you're watching the hockey game last night, or a hockey game last night, you were probably rooting for your, your team. Unfortunately, my team didn't win last night in overtime. And just to rub it in, I saw Jordan was wearing a Maple Leaf sweater when he came in here. <laughs> we're all passionate about certain things, which is, which is good, Right? But think about that thing that you're passionate about. Now compare that to what God is passionate about. What is God passionate about? Us. He's compassionate about us. And it's a bit exposing, though, when we compare what God is passionate about with what we're passionate about, isn't it? It's a bit sobering. God loves our interests. He doesn't mind us being passionate about things in this world. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be passionate about things in this world as well, too. But... He does mind when something fuels our lives more than him. More than him. He's a jealous God, right? He cares about our priorities, uh, but he, and he does not care so much about our outwardly expression or, again, how emotive we are with passion either. But he does care about what truly enthralls us, what our hearts yearn for. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I think that the passion and zeal that we, read right, that we need right now is how we feel when we're actually faced with the cross. With the truth of the cross. And what, the, what is the feeling that we should have? It's the feeling of knowing how much we actually need him. That's what we need right now. How much we need salvation. How much we need Repentance. Is it possible to have a zeal for repentance? Is it? I think so. I think so. If I'm standing up and looking at the cross, and I'm thinking of Jesus on the cross dying and the mercy that was given to me, I have a zeal for repentance. I have a zeal to, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Forgive me for my sinful nature. It's a zeal that builds up in you. And if you don't have that, then how are you ever going to be drawn to salvation? You need to have a zeal for repentance. And I think that this passion for repentance might seem a bit odd, uh, but we have to understand that our emotions and our affections are also subject to our sinful nature as well, right? Maybe today you feel as though, you know, I don't know how to express passion. It feels impossible to me. Well, you know what? Take some grace on that feeling right now because there's a lot of people that feel that way. There's a lot of people that feel the way. But the good news is that God's impossible commands, including the one I just read, to be not be slothful in zeal, are actually mercies to us. It might seem impossible, but they humble us in ways that call us to deeper levels of dependence on him. And they also teach us to follow Jesus in living the way that we're meant to live, by faith, by faith alone. So my pastoral cry to God today is whatever it takes, Lord, increase my zeal, increase my passion to do your will. No, we're not as passionate as we should be, but today he wants us to ask him for the zeal that we're meant to have, and he wants us to ask him boldly for it. He wants us to ask him for it. As Christians, we can't be indifferent, even though we're tired, we're numb, and we're despairing in the in the really the onslaught of really bad news all the time, right? But we can't surrender to indifference and pretend that the events that, we're, that are facing humanity right now do not affect us or do not tear at our souls. We have to 
let ourselves feel the anger, the outrage, the confusion, the grief, the fear. We have to go down to the depths and cry out to God from that place. We have to weep. We have to feel. We have to lament so that the passion of Christ comes onto us. If you feel this morning like you, you need a, a shock, you need some shock therapy to bring that passion out of you, I'm going to ask you in a second to, to, to pray with me. Is that all right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and, and play while we do that. So if you feel this morning like you need a, a shock to your passion, why don't you just kind of stand with me today because I really feel like this is an important part of the body of Christ to be passionate about who he is so that we can bring that passion to others. Because guess what? Well, here's the great thing about passion. It is absolutely contagious. If you have a passion, it will spread faster than anything in this world. We can all use more passion, by the way. All of us can. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, today we say, whatever it takes, increase my zeal, increase my passion to do your will and become who I am meant to be. During these trying days, give us the wisdom to know when we're lacking in passion and when our relationship with you might need a little bit of work. Give us the courage to engage with our emotions. And even though it's so much easier to focus on our own lives, on our own challenges, we repent this morning and ask you to forgive us for really what it is. It's isolation. Help us to see with your eyes, eyes which are expansive, and let us see beyond ourselves. Help us to understand your heart and cultivate a passion in us that brings us closer to you and, and help us drive away the things that actually take us away from you. Lord, let us recognize the indifference. Let us recognize that we have been created to care and created to passionately seek after you and worship you. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just as the worship team sings one more time, just give yourself to him, give yourself to him this morning. Passionately go after him. And receive from him this morning.